Welcome. I am so glad you're joining us today. My name's Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are so glad that you've joined us today. Hello and happy Easter. Today's a great day, isn't it? I know this is the most bizarre Easter we ever had, but I'm so glad that you're joining us wherever you are, sitting on a couch, watching on your phone with friends, family, or by yourself. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. I'm so glad even that you took a break from binging Tiger King to watch something maybe a little bit better than that. I'm so glad you're here. So here at Stapleton Church, we are all about helping people follow Jesus. And we want to help you follow Jesus. Maybe you don't know anything about Jesus, you're not a believer, but we want you to take a step in your spiritual journey because we believe that when you do that, you can move and take a step closer to the fullest life that Jesus has for you. And if you're interested in doing that, I'm doing something special starting tomorrow morning, April 13th. I have a devotional that I'm doing to help you live in hope. You know, we have some hope right now. Easter is a fun day. Things may be going well for us. We look at the flowers outside. It seems like there's hope around. Well, I want us to learn how to continue to live in hope every single day. And that's why I'm going to be sending out a five-minute video of a daily devotional. So if you go to stapletonchurch.com slash devotional, you can sign up for that devotional called Living in Hope. So you can do that right now, pause for a little bit and go over there, or, or you can sign up after this, and I will make sure that I will send you that devotional to your email inbox tomorrow morning, because I want to help you live in hope. But today, we're talking about victory. Doesn't that sound good? I think that sounds good because we, uh, I think right now, are spiritually interested in things. We, we really are. You're watching right now. Nobody dragged you to church today like they may have on another Easter. Maybe you're overhearing this because someone has this playing too loud. And if that's you, I love you. I, I'm, I hope that you continue to listen. But most of us are here because we're interested in spiritual things, even if it's just slightly. But I know that in this time of pandemic that we're living in, people are having some things that they're interested in spiritually. Google reports that one of the top searches is for prayer. People are praying more than normal. That Bible publishers are recording that they are selling more Bibles than ever. That's interesting. Even churches are reporting that their numbers are growing, which is crazy at a time when we can't even meet physically together. Why is all this happening? Because we're longing for the deeper truths in our life. And I believe today what we're longing for is a victory. And if you're here today and you're longing for victory, I want you to do something. I know this is weird. I know it's awkward. You might be by yourself or with your roommates, but I want you to just slip your hands in the air and give me a victory pose. Can you do that? Just give me that victory pose right now because what we're going to talk about is how we can have victory today and live in that victory. That sounds good, doesn't it? I especially think that sounds good because most of us are living in defeat. Most of us feel defeated and that we're losing. We want some wins. We want victory, but we don't feel it. We feel, and I felt this over the last few weeks, discouraged that what I'm doing isn't good enough, that I'm struggling in my roles. Maybe it's as a husband or a father or my, with my job. Some of us have, watching this have even lost work. Maybe right now you're struggling financially. Maybe you're struggling with an illness like coronavirus. And you're wondering, how am I going to get past this? You want a victory. You want to win in your life. Maybe the defeat you're feeling is from the own voice in your head. You have that too? It tells you you're not good enough, that you're a failure, that you remember back to that thing that happened years ago, maybe decades ago, and you feel guilty. How could I have ever been that stupid? We kick ourselves. Maybe the voice in our head isn't even in our own voice. It's the voice of a parent or a coach, 
Or a teacher who years ago told us something like, you're not good enough, you're never going to amount to anything, and that voice just echoes in our head again and again and again, and we feel like a failure. You see, a lot of us complain about other people judging us, but I think the truth is we are our harshest critic. We are the worst judge of ourselves because we judge ourselves and find ourselves wanting. I think that the old saying is correct, that we have met the enemy and he is us. See, we are our own worst critics, our own judge, because we slam down the gavel and say, guilty. We condemn ourselves. We're not living in victory. But I believe that God wants us to live in victory, and I believe if you're watching today, you can find that victory over that feeling of self-condemnation. I believe that you can have true victory today. So what we're going to do is we're going to first look at some good news Then we're going to look at some bad news before we look at the best news of all. So make sure you stay tuned for this entire message because it's going to be so important for you. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at what God says in his word. And we're going to look at a small section, just four verses from a book called Romans. You see, in the Bible, it is one book, but it's actually made up of 66 little books within it. And one of those books is called Romans, because Paul, one of the very first followers of Jesus, wrote a letter to a group of Christians who were living in Rome, and he was teaching them about Jesus, and in this section about victory. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, and what we're going to do actually is look at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, and it's going to start us out on a five-week series that will continue next week about how to live in victory. You're definitely going to want to stay. This whole series is going to build up on each other, and you're going to love this series. So make sure already you're setting your reminders so that you're going to join with us next Sunday, that you can subscribe on YouTube or subscribe on Facebook, like us, our page, so you you make sure that you get next week's message as well. You can even get on your podcast app on your phone and subscribe to our audio podcast if, if that's what you do. I want to make sure that you hear this entire series, not just this first one. But we're going to start today in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And in that, we read the good news. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That sounds good. No condemnation. All right, well, I don't need to uh, listen to that voice in my head. I don't need to feel so guilty. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, that's good news. But I kind of feel like we're kind of stepping in, in, into this point and it doesn't quite make sense. It's almost as if you're playing a game, you're out on the field and you look up at the scoreboard and you, you think, oh my gosh, we're way behind, we're going to lose this game. And then all of a sudden, the whistle blows, the buzzer sounds, the game's over and you've won. What? They come up behind you with a big old Gatorade pitcher, they pour it all over you, you're covered with ice and cold and wet and you're like, what's going on? The fans stream out of the stands, they pick you up on their shoulders, they hoist you up and they're cheering your name, chanting it, you're won. And you're thinking, what? How did we get here? If that's you, this good news doesn't make sense without the bad news, which is what Paul talks about next. See, in verse 2, it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in verse 2, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has, underline this, set you free from the law of sin and death. This is important for us to realize. There's no condemnation. We're set free. Why? Because we were under the law of sin and death. The law that Paul is talking about here is God's law. Because God created us 
And he then has the um, right to tell us how we should live. And he wants the best for us. So he started out by just giving 10 simple rules for how we should live the best life. We know them as the Ten Commandments. Even if you're not a believer, you've probably heard of those Ten Commandments. Because in the Ten Commandments, God laid out these ten simple rules to how we could live the best life. There's simple things like don't lie, don't steal, don't covet from others, don't desire what other people have for yourself. But what's sad is that those ten simple rules, every single one of us, has failed to follow. It's true. We lie. Every single one of us lies to other people. We try to deceive them so that we can look better or so that we can hide something bad that we have done, even worse. We cover our own tracks by lying. We, we covet, don't we? We go on walks and we look at other people's houses and wish we had that. We see their cars and we wish we could drive that. We see people that have a job that maybe isn't struggling like ours is or, or not having a job. And we covet their job. We covet their, covet their spouse. We want what other people have. And we live in that jealousy and covetousness. Even one of the easiest rules that God laid out in the Ten Commandments we break. He he said, take a Sabbath. Take a day off. That's what one of God's top ten rules is. And we can't even live by that rule. We work, we answer emails, we get on Slack, we work around the house, putting in long hours, never taking a day off. Every single one of us breaks God's top ten rules. On top of that, God gave another 600 plus rules to his nation, to his people Israel. And if we were to look at those, I won't even get into those. You've failed those ones as well. I can promise you. And then Jesus summarized them too. Because some of you are like, well, what about Jesus? Well, Jesus said you could summarize all those laws by two laws. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I think this coronavirus pandemic has shown that we don't love our neighbors as ourselves. Why else would there be a run on teepee except we want to stock up for ourselves? That we're stocking up because we'd rather me and mine have what we need than those other people who are struggling. We'd rather people out there go hungry and struggle as long as I have taken care of myself. We don't love our neighbors as ourselves. See, God has told us his law. He has set his standard and we have failed. And here's the thing. God's standards are high. They are. They're perfection. In the Old Testament, God said, be holy as I am holy. And if that isn't clear enough, Jesus explained it to us, be perfect as I am perfect. Wow. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We all fail. Some of you are struggling though. Matt, I'm not a believer. Why do I need to live up to God's law? Well, here's the thing. You have failed to live up to your own standards. It's true. Think about the thing that you value the most. Some of us say family is the most important thing. Well, have you ever hurt the people that you love the most? Have you ever said something that hurt the feelings of your spouse? Have you ever done something that really made them mad? Have you ever ignored your kids or been too busy to spend time with them? Or with someone else in your family? Have maybe over the last few weeks in quarantine... Have you been annoyed and angry and said some things to your kids that you wish you could take back? Here's the crazy thing. None of us realize this, but when we all as adults go to a therapist to talk with them, what do we tell them about? All the awful things our parents did to us. What do you think our kids are going to tell their therapists about when they grow up? The reality is, is we say family is the most important thing for us and we fail to live up to our own standards of loving our family like we should. 
Some other people say, well, the environment is the most important thing. We've got to make sure we take care of this planet because it's for everyone. Okay, great, you're right. But have you ever not recycled? Have you ever bought something with packaging that had way too much packaging that was needed? Have you ever bought fruit out of season and it had to get it shipped from around the world polluting the environment? The reality is that we all have. If the environment is your highest standard, you have failed to live a perfect life according to your own environmental standards. Maybe for you, the most important thing is giving back. You want to serve the community and help people who are in need. So you volunteer your time. But I have a guess. When you get busy, when you're struggling, or when you're afraid of getting a virus, what do you do? You stay home and you don't volunteer your time. You don't give back. You keep things for yourselves. See, if, if giving back is our higher, highest standards, we fail at that too. If you're watching this though and you think, well, Matt, I live up to my own standards. I, I'm good. Then I can tell you one thing. You're struggling with what's called the sin of pride. Okay? And you're arrogant and you have offended and turned off all sorts of other people and made them feel awful about themselves. See, every single one of us has failed to live up to our own standards, let alone the perfect standards of a holy God. Now, some of us look at that and we say, well, maybe God should just lower his standards. I mean, we all mess up. We all make mistakes. No one's perfect. But here's the thing. If you're saying that, that no one's perfect, that that God should lower his standards, then nothing's ever going to get better. That there are going to continue to have families that hurt each other and, and are broken and people that grow up that need more therapy. There's going to continue to be an environment that gets more and more polluted that needs to be protected. There's going to continue to be people who are homeless and hungry and hurting that need help and no one to help them. See, God sets a high standard because he wants the best for us and he wants the best for the world. And we fail to live up to his standards, let alone ours. We fail. And the condemnation we feel is deserved. That's the bad news. But I told you there was the best news you'll ever hear. The best news you'll ever hear. And that's what we get next. In verse 3, we read, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. In other words, we as humans have failed. We cannot live up to God's standards or our own. And then it says, God did. What we fail to do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. See, God knew that we as human beings were weak, our flesh, our human bodies. We could not live up to his standards. We could not live up to our own standards. We did wrong. We sin. We fall short of God's standards. But God knew that he needed to step in to help. And that's why he sent his own son who we know as Jesus. And Jesus lived among us. He walked among us. He served us and he loved us. He was a good man. He took care of his family. Even when he knew he was going to die, he made sure somebody would take care of his mother. He took care of the environment. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus walked everywhere he went. Okay. Uh, on, on top of that, Jesus served others all the time. He gave back. He gave way more. Then he took, he washed people's feet, he healed the sick, he was around people who were hungry and hurting and he fed them and he healed them. Jesus even went to the outcasts, the sex workers, and he showed them God's love by speaking to them and talking to them and helping them. See, Jesus was the greatest man to ever live and he never sinned. Did you realize that? If you continue reading 
In the second half of verse 3, it says, And so he, God, condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, Jesus met the full righteous requirement of the law. He did everything that God commanded. He never sinned. He never sinned. There's no sin or anything wrong recorded that he ever did. And you think there would be because his mother Mary became one of his followers. You think she would have recorded, hey, I remember when he was a teenager and he did that. I'm sure your parents have some of those stories about you. Teenagers, your parents have those stories right now about you. Okay, we all have sinned. I think his mother would have at some point said, hey, I I know something he did wrong. Or what about his brothers? Those of you who have siblings know your siblings know the dirt on you. But Jesus' brothers, two of them actually became his followers and declared Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. James and Jude even went on to write books of those 66 books of the Bible saying that Jesus is Lord and Savior. That's incredible. My brothers can tell some sin about me that I committed. But there was no sin that Jesus ever did. He did everything right. He served people. He loved people. He fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. But did you pick up what it said in verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met, not in Jesus, but in us. See, here's the amazing thing. Where it says in verse 3 that he was condemned, Jesus was the one person ever who should not have been condemned, who was not guilty. And yet he was condemned to death. And he suffered and died. The one person who had never done anything wrong died. But it says... That happens so that we might meet the righteous requirement of the law. That we could live up to God's standards so we could be perfect. How does that work? And that's the most important news. The best news of all is the transaction that happened when Jesus was condemned. This is what I want you to understand today. If you forget everything else I say, I want you to learn this one point. That Jesus was condemned so you could live In victory. Jesus was condemned so you could live in victory. See, there's a great transaction that happened on the cross when Jesus died. This is a powerful thing that happened that our punishment that we deserve, our consequences, got put onto Jesus when he died. And the reward that he earned by living a righteous life was given to us who believe. This is a powerful transaction. Jesus was condemned so we could live in victory. This would be kind of like someone getting sick today with the coronavirus. Just imagine a college student who ignored all the recommendations from Anthony Fauci and the CDC, from his governor and the president, and he even broke the law by going on spring break to Florida to the beaches. He spent time around all sorts of people, and while he was there, being reckless, he caught the coronavirus. And then he came back, home and even though he knew he was sick because he began to cough he didn't care and he went out anyways he partied with people he infected dozens and dozens of others even when uh he went to a grocery store and when someone was annoying he deliberately coughed on that other person got them sick and sent them to the hospital with covid19 now imagine this man eventually getting sick himself And this young college student laying in a hospital bed put into the icu being told by a doctor that he had hours left to live. But, the doctor said, there is a treatment that can heal you. He said, there's a special treatment. If I 
give you a blood transfusion. I give you my blood and you take and I, and I take yours into myself. Then I will take your virus, the doctor says, upon myself and I will die suffering, struggling with my organs failing. And you can be healed and walk out of here living. Now, if that scene were to take place in a hospital room, I'm sure one of the nurses would run in there and be like, whoa, whoa, doc, what are you doing? Don't do this. This this uh, uh, college student, he has been reckless. He has been foolish. He has deliberately gotten other people sick. People are going to die because of him and the wrong that he has done. Why would you let him live? And you, such a great man who has served so many people and saved so many lives, why would you die so he could live? It doesn't make sense. But that's what the doctor did anyways. And that college student was able to walk out of there 100% healthy. Now I want you to imagine that scenario. Because in a very similar way, Jesus died in our place. Though he had done nothing wrong and we clearly have done many things wrong. Jesus went and took upon our sickness which is sin upon himself. We deserve all of the repercussion and consequences of our sin which lead eventually to death. He took all of that upon himself so that we could live when we have faith in him. That's what happened when Jesus was condemned because Jesus was condemned so you could live in victory. It was a powerful transaction that happened so we could live a healed and holy, new, transformed life. A few weeks ago, I was reading to McKinley one night and we have this little book that teaches her about God. And the story for that evening was about Jesus and how he died. And that is a weird thing to explain to a three-year-old. And she was silent after I read it, and we went on to read a couple other stories. But the next morning, she said, Daddy, what did Jesus have in his hand? And I was confused by the question, so I said, I don't know, and I moved on. But at lunch, she asked the question again, Daddy, what did Jesus have in his hand? And it came to my memory that what Jesus had in his hand in the picture in that book was a piece of wood. It was the cross. It was the cross that Jesus carried that he was crucified on. So I explained it to her at lunch. I said, well, when they killed Jesus, they killed him on that cross. They nailed him to it so that he would die. Melissa, realizing the opportunity here with McKinley's curiosity... Asked McKinley, honey, do you know why Jesus had to die? McKinley said, no. And Melissa explained it so clearly. She said, you know, McKinley, when you do something wrong, you have to have a consequence. McKinley nodded her head. Melissa continued, well, when we do something wrong, it's called sin. And when we sin, we should have a consequence. But when Jesus died, he took that consequence upon himself. And all I could think in my head was, preach, mama, preach. See, that's so clear. We have done wrong and we deserve consequences because of it. But Jesus, who deserves no consequences, took it all upon himself. He was condemned to death on our behalf. Jesus was condemned. Why? So that we could live in victory. Now that's the best news you will ever hear. That that voice of self-condemnation, we can silence it forever. 
Then when we feel guilty for the things that we have done, when we feel not good enough, we know that we are because Jesus died for us to give us new life so that we, like the college student who would walk out of that hospital room, can walk out with a transformed new life forever to live in victory. And that, I believe, is what God wants for every single one of us. And if you're watching today, if you're listening to my voice, God wants that for you. God wants you to live in victory. And if you're thinking, how could this be true? How, how do I know what you're saying is right, Matt? How do I know that the cross actually works that way? Well, God knew you'd have that question, and that's why he did something different when Jesus died. Because when Jesus died, they took his body, they made sure he was dead, they stabbed him with a spear, they took him down, they wrapped his body in linen, and they put him in a cave. They put the body there, and they even put guards out front. They rolled a huge, heavy stone in front. Jesus was dead. And on that Friday night, nothing happened. Jesus' followers had run away defeated. See, they didn't expect anything to happen at that point. And on Saturday, Jesus' followers didn't go to the tomb either. Jesus lied dead in that cave, surrounded by the guards. But on Sunday morning, something happened. Something different. There was a woman named Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' followers, who had been transformed by his message. And she ran to the tomb. She went there to check on, on her Savior's tomb to honor him. She wasn't expecting anything, but when she got there, the ground began to shake. The stone in front of the tomb rolled away. The guards were terrified and petrified. They didn't know what to do. And an angel appeared to Mary and said, Don't be afraid. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And when Mary checked in the tomb, it was empty. The strips of linen that Jesus had been wrapped in were, were neatly folded there. and Jesus was gone. Mary encountered Jesus first. He was alive. He had somehow been brought back to life by our Father in heaven. Jesus was alive and Mary didn't recognize him at first because she had no expectation of this happening. But there was Jesus in front of her. When she told the rest of the disciples, they didn't believe her. As maybe you're struggling to believe too. But then Jesus appeared to those disciples as well, to a group of them. They saw him. There was Jesus, the man they knew so well. He was alive, brought back from the dead. And then... When Thomas, who was one of the disciples who wasn't there, he doubted. He was like, no, 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 wait, there's no way that could have happened. Jesus appeared a week later to him as well. And he allowed Thomas to touch the holes in his hands and his feet where he had been nailed to the cross. Jesus was alive. He was living, breathing. He ate with them. He, he drank with them. They could touch him. He was a real physical human being. Jesus went on to appear to 500 eyewitnesses who wrote down accounts. People like Peter, people like Paul. And this was recorded for us because Jesus appeared to so many people. Jesus had risen from the dead. So why was Jesus resurrected on the third day? Because God wanted us to know for sure that what happened on the cross worked. That God has power over death itself. That there is victory that is possible over sin, over death. And that we can have it through faith in Jesus. See, the resurrection, what we celebrate on Easter, was the ultimate victory, and it proves that we too can have victory in our life. And I want you to experience that victory for yourself, so that you can live not only in victory now, but know that when you die someday, whether from the coronavirus now, or decades later in old age, that you can live forever with God in paradise. And I want you to have that for yourself. 
Before I tell you how to do that, I want you to watch this story from a woman here in our church named Jen. Hello, my name is Jen DeVore Richter, and I did not grow up in a Christian home, but I did become a follower of Jesus Christ at the age of 42 years old. So when I was growing up, I came from a loving environment. I had supportive parents and unlimited opportunity, and I felt like if I just had my life together, that if I was a good person, that that would be enough. And as I matured, I started to quickly realize that it wasn't and that something was missing. I tried to fill that gap with personal development and self-help, and it just never went away, that, that feeling like something was missing out of my life. And it became more apparent, never more apparent, until I really started to encounter for the first time some truly fear-filled experiences in my life. The first was when my brother was sent to Afghanistan to, front, to fight the war on the front lines. Truthfully, as a Hail Mary, I just started to pray to God in Jesus' name that he would send my brother home safely. And when I said that first real prayer in my entire life in Jesus' name, I truly felt this experience of God's presence in my life. It was like Jesus was wrapping his arms around me and around my brother. I also experienced God's real love in my life when I experienced a health battle. Again, I turned to praying in Jesus' name, laying in the hospital bed after that prayer. Moments later, the pastor of the hospital walked in, put his hand on mine, and prayed a prayer over me. That gave me so much comfort. I really do not think that those experiences were coincidences. In fact, I know in my heart that those were God's way of showing me love in times of fear and doubt. And those moments changed me forever. I started leaning in to God when times were horrible in my life when the worst things that you couldn't even imagine were happening I started to lean into God I started to learn how to read the Bible how to pray I joined a Bible-based church and that community filled my life with joy and Jesus filled my life with joy and he removed the fear and doubt in my life and I know that he wants to do that right now for you. He wants to have a relationship with you. So it's my prayer that this Easter season that you would lean into Jesus and pray to God in Jesus' name to help you. He can remove your fear and doubt. Wow, wasn't Jen's story so powerful? I hope it moved you like it did me. And I hope that you will make the decision that Jen made to cry out to God, to pray to him, to ask him that you could be forgiven of your sins, so that condemnation could be taken away from you, that you could be declared by your Father in heaven not guilty, that you can be given the gift of eternal life and start living in that victory right now. And I want that for you. So what I want you to do is, is say a prayer. And there's going to be a prayer here in just a second. But for all of us, there's so many people watching right now. Some of you are already followers of Jesus. I want every single person who's watching to make sure you commit to come back next week to watch our stream, to listen, to subscribe to YouTube, whatever it means. I want to make sure that you get week two and continue this series. Commit to these five weeks in victory. Even if you don't believe it all and you think I'm full of it, commit to these five weeks. I think it's going to be worth your time.
But for those today who are already ready, you're like Jen, you're saying, today is the day that I want to believe, that I want to have that declaration of condemnation taken away from me, that I could live in victory once and for all. If you want that, I want to give you a simple prayer that you can pray right now. And I'm going to put it up on the screen, and I want you to pray this prayer with me. God, I know that I am a sinner, and ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus was condemned for my sins and rose from the dead. Please give me the gift of eternal life. I declare that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I invite your spirit to live in my heart. Help me to follow you and live in victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me for the first time, congratulations. Jesus said that the angels rejoice with you. They're celebrating in heaven right now. They're throwing a party for you. And I'm so glad that you made that decision. It's the most important decision you could make in your life. And if you did, I want you to text the word follow to 62488. Text follow to 62488. Do it right now. Stop, pause, whatever you're doing. Text follow to 62488. We want to encourage you and pray for you and even send you a gift. So if you could, please text follow to 62488 because what you did today is so important. And I just want to thank you for watching today. And let's close now with a song as we declare the victory that we have in Jesus because he was condemned so we could live in victory. Let's pray. Lord God, I'm so grateful for what you've done. Even though we can't be here together like normal on an Easter, Lord, you're doing even more important, powerful things than ever in our lives and in our hearts. I pray that you'd continue to encourage and build up in people. Give them the Holy Spirit to the people that have said that prayer for the first time. Help them live in that victory and help all of us know that we have victory. We don't need to listen to that voice of self-condemnation, but know that we have been declared not guilty, loved, forgiven, accepted by the only voice that matters, the voice of our Father in heaven. And thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us on the cross. And thank you that you rose from the dead, that we can know for sure that it worked. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.